and we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. How are you doing, man? hey And we are joined once again by our first returning guest, uh, Simon. Welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I didn't realize I was your first returning guest, so I feel yep. very distinguished now. <laughs> well, most of them don't agree to show up a second time, so... <laughs> to be fair, we haven't asked most of them to come back. This is technically also true, but, uh, you know, first time for everything. <laughs> so um, so we have a fun show lined up for y'all today. Um, again, we're going to have uh, Simon back on, so I'm sure he has a, a few queries for us. But, uh, you know, we also want to kind of follow up from our, our last episode um, and I know in the meantime, uh, Simon, I know you had a chance to check out our, uh, our brief conversation about our, uh, our, our draft character creation. So I want to get your feedback on that as well. Um, cause I, I saw you. Oh, some notes. Yes, that's right. The draft character creation. Now I'm, I'm so glad this, this show isn't like taped with video because you just missed a look of panic on my face where I'm not trying to look for that file where I kept it. <laughs> So I know you oh. sent a copy of it over over Messenger. Yes, so. yes, I did. <laughs> um, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> the no, that that's an interesting way. I I would definitely use that um, if I was to run a like mini campaign of like maybe four sessions. You know what I'm saying? It's like okay, we're we're gonna run this for like the next month, and we're gonna use this drafting method. Uh, to create characters, and um, man, I'm really irritated now. I can't find that file. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's. I think it's neat. I think I, I think it's really neat. That being said, I would make sure my target group, everyone, would have to be super familiar with the rules of like character creation. You actually might want the entire group to be filled with nothing but like people who like are optimizers at this point. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure if this is the kind of thing I would throw like a newbie beginner into because they may not understand the significance of like, you know, having a uh, a plus three modifier as opposed to a plus one modifier, you know, or a or a score of excuse me, a score of like fifteen or sixteen as opposed to a twelve, you know, so mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think I think it's really cool to do. And um, I remember when I I heard that episode. I got really obsessed with it. I actually went on like my uh, f- copy of Foundry Virtual Tabletop because it has a like, card functionality, and I want like you know, like like playing cards functionality. I want to see like could I set up a draft going and everything. But after like twenty minutes, I, w- I realized like I could probably do it, but it, it would take more time, energy that I had the time for. But it's an excellent idea. <laughs> Honestly, like, that was my biggest thing, because, like, I remember right after we recorded the episode, I went, like, scouring the internet. It's like, there has to be a way to do this. And it turns out there is a way to, like, do a custom draft. The problem is that you need to know how to code. <laughs> so, um, yeah, which is a skill set I don't have, um, nor do I know anybody offhand who'd be willing to donate their time and energy for that. So um, I guess if you are a member of our audience and listening, we would love to, to chat um, if that is something you were interested in doing. But um, but other than that, yeah, um, I definitely agree, though. I think this is, like, definitely a character generation technique that is more geared towards people who know what they're doing um, as a means to kind of artificially prevent them from min-maxing. Sure, you know, because it would be fun. 
right? Yeah, because it, 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 you know, I mean, I do like standardized character creation. I will no longer roll dice for character creation, or when I'm the D, I will never, I will never longer do that. You know, I'm, I'm for the standardization, but it is fun to mix it up, right? And that's what the whole purpose of coming up with the idea was: is to mix it up and throw some wrenches in the machine. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely cool. Awesome. I'm really happy that you, that you did um they did give that a listen. I, I know you have a pretty extensive background with uh with games kind of as we do. So it's always really interesting to get a um another perspective on it from someone who's kind of been in and around those uh that field. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's no. I I think it's a really cool idea. Definitely a great way to generate, you know, again, a character for a mini campaign of 3 to 4 sessions. So for those of you listening and don't know what we're talking about, you should check out the episode list. So I'm sure Owen will link it. <laughs> I, I will definitely put a link to the, uh, to the episode. I guess I should probably look up the title of it too offhand um, just in case, but I'm fairly sure it was the episode right before yours. So yes, I believe so. Correct. Let's see here. I will tell you the name of it in just a second. Uh, that is uh, episode, uh, session 1.16. We call that collusion. Uh, <laughs> nice nice um that's such a good episode title <laughs> it is it is a great episode title gotta say like so. i know a ton of podcasts do it but it was definitely a good idea to just switch to just like grabbing a quote from the episode out of context for the episode title i'm really happy i started doing that mm-hmm. oh nice it was, um, good, it was a good idea yeah, I mean, um, it wasn't mine, but you know, it, it was. It, it's definitely like it's added a lot more fun for me for like going back and listening to the recordings because now I'm like picking out out of context quotes for like potential episode titles. <laughs> to the audience, I apologize if I sound strange. I just came back from Gen Con, supposedly the best four days of gaming, and I lost my voice by Sunday. So yeah, if I sound strange, that's why. Yeah, that's right. You were running a booth down there, right? Uh, weren't you? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, um, I was running. Uh, so I was with Upper Deck, uh, and um, I usually am their floor manager slash head judge for their events in their organized play area. Uh, we do the um, the. There's a wonderful deck building game out. It just had its tenth anniversary. It's called Legendary, a Marvel deck building game. Um, it's really, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, um, yeah, so I was doing that and then they they have versus system, which is like, you know, your traditional one V one card game, except it doesn't use a, uh, a TCG model like Yu-Gi-Oh magic. It uses, um, it uses like what was pioneered by fantasy fight games. It's called the living card game model. So you get all the cards you need in one box and um yeah you and you play that way so there's no like opening packs for random rares and stuff like that god versus so, system. i remember when they piloted that game i remember we got some of the original um well not yes. original but i remember our the the lgs that we went to com connection got some of the early yep. demo decks no yep yep i remember that but uh yeah and so this is a reboot of that system they rebooted the system in like 2015 to make it more streamlined because like like it was getting, you know how it is in games, right? You get like power creep and bloat and these massive, these, you have like 1000 keywords at this point with weird interactions and you almost need like a math degree, you know? Mm-hmm. So, they, you, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so they rebooted versus. So it's a little bit more. It's not. It's a. It's a very good game engine, and uh, now, and uh, it's it's more streamlined. But yeah, I was doing that. Um and uh yeah I, I lost my voice because I was working the con I didn't get a chance to see anything interesting mainly however to, to to kick things off since this is mainly a Dungeons and Dragons focus podcast I remember when at one point I went from my organized play area to get to the main upper deck booth and I passed by like this vendor who was selling like older um older RPG supplements right. And um, he had some interesting, cool things. And he was selling a copy. I still remember this because I'm looking at the copy. I own a copy of this. It's a third edition Dungeons & Dragons supplement called Lords of Darkness. It's actually a Forgotten Realms campaign accessory. And I love the supplement. But he was selling it for like, it was kind of expensive. He was selling it for like 50 bucks. Because, you know, it's not in print anymore and anything. So so I just want to MSRP. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know the MS. So this is a thin cover book, right? So the MSRP was only thirty at the time. It's twenty nine ninety five. I'm looking at it right now, and I remember I bought it for thirty bucks. Uh, and uh, yeah. So you know, I mean, it's been yeah. So it's one of my favorite supplements. Uh, and so it just got me thinking for tonight. You know, uh, what do you guys? You guys have an extensive collection of old school quote unquote unquote. You know. Uh, supplements from previous editions of Dungeons Dragons. What are your favorites? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, great question. So, I think offhand, there's probably two books that come to mind. So, the first one that jumped to mind initially was the 3.5 expansion Tome of Magic, which had... <laughs> That's my first choice, too. <laughs> um, so, we both actually enjoyed this. So, it has what I could only describe as, like, some of the most malign base classes that I've ever seen. Like, the ones that, like, had the coolest idea, but just the poorest execution. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so for those who aren't aware, 3.5 had dozens and dozens of base classes that went well beyond the initial six or seven. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Tomb of Magic had three. It had the, uh, the Binder, um, which was basically a warlock-esque character um, where they we're kind of like like a cleric or whatever but like their principal ability is they have these like vestiges of like you know extra planner beings that they would like splice onto their own soul and like gain abilities and such for doing so so it mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like a it's kind of like warlock with benefits um it was like warlock nice. with multiple patrons uh so it was cool. kind of it was kind of nifty for that um it had the shadowcaster which was weird it was just like this very esoteric spell casting it, like the best way i could describe it's the way that the classes spell casting work is none of the spell casting was true spell casting so all of it dodged anti-magic um in 3.5 fashion of course right um right <laughs> um so all of it dodged and basically its entire ability tree was modeled after the invocations from warlock and 5e where, like, any one of your abilities was basically, like, a talent in a talent tree, and you progress down the trees in order to get new abilities. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, huh. But it was it's not It's actually a good class. my favorite class. <laughs> it's awful, but it's my favorite. <laughs> uh, it was so bad. It's just, like, select six squares. They're now covered with, like, fire and are difficult terrain. It's just like, oh, okay, like, does it do damage? Like, yes, it does damage. How much? Like, a d6. Like, oh. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is really cool. Like, you know, shadow fire is like really, really nifty. You're like, you know, arrows of shadow. It's like, that, that's cool abilities. You know, really cool and edgy stuff, but just not very good. And then the last one is what I can only describe as my, the most disappointing base class of all time was the true namer. Where like, the whole shtick is that like, your magic, air quotes magic, is just that you know the true, like, the universal true name of stuff and could use that to invoke, like, different magical abilities. Um, if you've ever read Aragon, that's how they're magic. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was that. But, like, the class was so weak. It was so incredibly weak. And it's like, never have I seen, like, a concept for a character that was just so poorly executed. Um <laughs> You know, because, like, you could turn that into a whole quest, right? Where it's like, in order to defeat the Lich, you must discover their true name to to undo the magic that binds their souls. Like, you know, you could do stuff with that. And, like, more practically, it was just like, you had to jump through a lot of hoops in order to do less good spells. Sure, sure. So, um, you, so wait, you said, so I'm not familiar with that. So it was really weak, this true namer thing? Yeah. Yeah, um, like, like, they did have, like, really bad hit die, like, Start bad starting off hit points, or oh was it like fragile? It was a lot. Um, it was that, um, <laughs> and just the abilities were just not very good, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Like That's a shame. Like, oh man. Okay, so let me see if I can find the. Okay, so I think I have it here on the internet. So like, yeah. the spell list was just was not very good, and they ended up having. I don't even know if I still have this book actually, but it had like three kind of like. Um, schools, I guess, of, like, different true names or whatever, and, like, uh, it, that's the the biggest thing, is just, like, the, the spell list itself was just not very good. Like, the kind of abilities that you were getting for, like, the amount of work that you had to do was just the equivalent of, like, a sorcerer or a wizard of, like, multiple levels below where you're currently at. So, like, first of all, you skill in order to use this class. Like, there's there's a whole skill that you have to put ranks in in order to use it called true speak okay so like starting off you're already losing one skill this whole skill to use this class at all second um you have to learn true name you don't just get spells you actually have to quote unquote research them i see And one of the class features is that you always know your own true name. And, like, you start off with a couple of, like, true words, basically for buff. And it's just, it's a lot for not enough benefit, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you only get... And the other thing, too, is, like, they, they really gate you on the number of, like, utterances, they call them. You know, which is like modifications uh, they do. So it's like okay. you only get one a level basically um, for the mm-hmm. first three levels, and then like when you finally get to fourth level, you start to unlock like a secondary tier, which you only get one for three levels. So like level one, uh, so it has three different like they call them lexicons, but it has like evolving mind, uh, crafted tool, and perfected map or whatever, and they broadly cover like self buffs, like conjuration, okay. and like map manipulation. Um, and the evolving mind, which is like the self buffing stuff for the first three levels, that's the only ones you get. And you get three of them on third level, like you have three total. So 
this is already like there's not a lot of them and they're not very strong as part of the problem um so then by the time you get fourth fifth and sixth level it's like great okay fourth fifth and sixth i get one new lexicon for the evolving mind per level what do i get you get one lexicon of the crafted tool one for all three of those levels you don't gain anything more than that you only get one right and then wow. it happens again at at ninth level or at eighth level you get the third one but you don't get a new third one until level 12 so it's like this class is so like the the growth on this class is so incredibly slow especially when you compare like you know wow i only get my second my second perfected map uh utterance at level 12 what can i do as a level 12 wizard you could basically do god (laughs) right yeah (laughs) meanwhile the other dude is like okay wow i see i see what you mean (laughs) by the power differential yeah Um, and that's just what it really boils down to you know and you have you have the 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 weak um, base attack bonus so it's not even like you can do much else right because like i could easily see rebalancing this class to either a make the utterances stronger but even if you don't do that if you just say made it more melee like made the melee just more viable as something that it could do mm-hmm. then okay you could just say okay i get it it's like a weaker wizard sorcerer but to compensate they're better at melee you know i can hear from both your voices that you're kind of you think this class is really cool you two should try to like rewrite it as a homebrew like and update it for fifth edition. You, two, you you might be surprised what you come up with. You should try it. I'd be interested to see what you come up with. It's an incredibly low bar to clear to make this more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know that I'd have to try. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm sure that we, we could. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe we could throw it together on, on D&D Beyond or something. Or, like, or, yeah. Or on, like what uh, I'm saying DM is Guild. like. I don't think there would be any effort in making this functional. <laughs> okay. But we could just do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Are there any other supplements? So you mentioned that particular supplement, which obviously is a splat book, which I mean, third edition 3.5 was famous for, although fourth edition went nuts with the splat book thing and as well um is there any are there are there any other supplements from that era that you like that you that you feel like are systems uh, edition agnostic like it would give you like cool ideas or advice that you could apply to a a fifth fifth edition game now yeah um so i remember that edition also had the heroes of horror um, yes, it did. Supplement. I literally have that PDF open, Owen. <laughs> I keep reading nice. Marvin's mind. We, the thing is, like, we played a lot of fifth, uh, a lot of three point five together. So a lot of these books that I ended up picking up on a lark from like Borders or Barnes and Noble um, ended up making it into our campaign. Um, yeah. So oh, cool. Um, so like, I, you know, these were things that I was familiar with, but I remember that um, the Heroes of Horror was another really fun expansion that I loved. Um, for the Dread Necromancer class specifically out of it. Um, I remember that was... Oh, that's right. I know you like necromancy. Not in real life, but like as a, as a player. But also <laughs> in real life. <laughs> but also in real life. <laughs> I mean, not gonna lie, if I, could, if I could resurrect the dead. Which, by the way, like, mini rant for a minute. Why in God's green earth did the people who made the 3.5 spell book, right? For the 3.5 spell list for wizard... Why is Speak with Dead not on their spell list initially? Like, good question. 
my god, like they, they made Necromancer so bad in five E. So so bad. And then like <laughs> as as like the biggest insult to injury, you don't even give him all the cool necromancy spells. The clerics get them. Like, ugh. Somebody somebody <laughs> in Wizards does not like want Necromancers to have fun. <laughs> sure, sure. I don't. Anyway, I'm sorry, Mervin. So I know you had the, the PDF open, so do you want to take this one away? Oh, I was just going to say, like, similar reason. I love the Archivist class. It's, what if Wizard was a Divine Caster? And it's it's just cool. It's not good, but it's cool. Yeah. No, no. I mean, that's all I, I care about. Better than True Namer, right? Um, so the um, reason I like that book though was um, was not only the classes, but it had a really interesting take on sanity, if I remember correctly. Ah. Uh, um, so it had like supplemental rules in that book that you could implement for um, uh, for like tracking sanity and and like potential implications. Now I will say this: true to early 90s early to like late 90s early 2000s logic <laughs> the way that it handles mental illness is not very good <laughs> um, of course yes um, and like for like my young mind at the time right where i'm going through this um at the time i was like oh this is the coolest thing ever like i could have a split personality and it's like sure. yeah like that's you know and nowadays I'm, I'm older and i realize that like you know unbalanced probably should be a lot more respectful of those sorts of things. Right. But... Yeah. Someone else's condition should not be your role playing persona. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, it was, it was a really interesting way. Cause like before reading that book, I had never really considered that like D and D could be a game that was horror adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that like, you know, it, it, it kind of opened my mind to like, Oh, this game can be more than just like power fantasy. No, that's uh you know what I'm writing that down. You said horror adjacent. I'm actually writing that down because I want to come back to that later. Uh you know, for uh the reason earlier I was asking you both like, you know, are, are there any other supplements that you know you felt are like um that that could be that are kind of like agnostic and that could be applied into any edition. Um so the one I was that started off this whole conversation was when I mentioned, you know, this Lords of Darkness supplement that I saw at Gen Con, which I happen mm-hmm. to own. Mm-hmm. And I, I still draw upon this. So for those of you not familiar, so this came out in 2001. And basically it's a list of uh, major evil, like major organizations and minor organizations that could be adversaries in a campaign for your players to face, right? What's the name of this and book? I'm sorry. It's called Lords of Darkness. Lords, Lords of, of Darkness. Okay. Yes, Lords of Darkness. Forgot it's a Forgotten Realms accessory. And my favorite in this book, and you know, it had the typical. If you know anything about like the Forgotten Realms, like it's got the typical, like oh, the Reds, the Red Wizards of Thay, you know, or the Zen, uh, the Zentarim or Zentarim, you know, from Zental Keep or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, but my favorite were the minor organizations. And I still remember to this day, so like back in 2001, uh, I, I, I remember driving to, oh man, there was a game store. It was like off of like Oakland Park Boulevard and University Drive, or no, closer to, closer to Pine Island. Dragon's and Lake. no, 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 um, it's further west. Anyway, that's not important. Uh, <laughs> and I remember looking at this and there's an entry here for the 
and it's called the Eldrith Veluthra. And it says the Eldrith Veluthra is a fanatical elf supremacist group dedicated to the proposition that humans are little better than vermin and therefore must be eradicated from all the forgotten realms. With that one sentence, I was hooked. I'm like, this is my villain. These are my bad guys. And, <laughs> you know, oh my God. And I've used the elf, I've recycled this idea many times when I'm running D&D, whether it was in fourth edition, I ran a fifth edition campaign where like the players ran across them and they're kind of shocked. Like, Oh, friendly elves. And it's like, die filthy round ear. And you know, and yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Oh my gosh. That reminds um, me of the elves. So aggressive. Yeah. I'm sorry. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> there reminds me of the elves from Lorwyn. Um I don't know if you were playing Ashford oh, at that yes! time. But yes, like the uh, Marwyn elf. That's right. It's exact it's it's very similar. They're like they call, refer to the non elves as eye blights, and I'm just like, this is such a yes! That's a great one. No, no. So I, I love it because I love doing this to players that are playing D&D for the first time as well. I, I like to subvert the expectation because usually coming in with like, oh, we just watched Lord of the Rings and we really want to play d and I'm like, oh, my sweet summer child, I have a surprise for you. So, <laughs> you know? Um, so the so hobbits that, are not your friends. The hobbits are not your friends. Actually, before I get to that, so like, and there were like some really cool ideas here for like really quirky villains. I like there's another one they called House Karanok, right? And they're in this like decadent city somewhere in like the Forgotten Realms. And this this house, this noble house, they're kind of nuts. A sphere a sphere of annihilation. You're familiar with that magic item? Oh yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a sphere of annihilation has appeared in their in their mansion's basement. And they're kind of crazy anyway. So they start worshiping the sphere as an avatar of like the god of entropy they believe in. Okay. And because of this, the sphere actually gains sentience and starts grant them, granting them like clerical powers. And they try to like, and using their new clerical powers, they try to like take over the entire region. I'm like, how quirky is that? I just love, I just love random shit like that. Oh, oh sorry, God. I shouldn't have sworn. Oh, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, no. So just, yeah, so there's like really interesting stuff in this book that I still use to this day. So, um, and because you mentioned, you just made that joke, I'm like, the halflings are not your friends. Um, from fourth edition, my, fa- my supplement that I still use uh, is the Dark Sun campaign setting for fourth edition, where in Dark Sun, um, in the current state of the world, uh, the halflings have all gone feral, and um, they're very powerful psionicists that ride like raptors, and they're cannibals, and so they'll eat people. Oh, and I love it. That's yep. so much. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, in in, in the dark sun world, uh, magic use is frowned upon because um, uh, magic use has depleted the planet. Like because mm. the way how people learned magic in Dark Sun or the world of Athos, um, they when you cast a spell, it drains the it the easy path. The easy path of magic is to drain the life around you. So all plant life is mainly dead around. Okay. So yes, so uh, the halflings um, they they abhor that, so they'll use uh, psionics instead. Um, if they're not just like throwing poison spears at you to knock you out and then drag you into their cook pot and they just eat you. So yeah, so yeah, those That's are those are yeah. yeah no, oh, it's great. I love oh, using. I, I love I love using feral halflings. As you can tell, I'm not a fan of traditional high fantasy tropes. 
I mean, in my current, where I am currently as a player, as a, as a dungeon master, you know, um, I mean, those high fantasy tropes are time tested and beloved tropes for a reason, you know, but there will come a point, you know, some people will keep going with them and that's okay. And at another point, people will try to subvert them, you know, and either, either style is definitely valid. Yeah. So you're, you're mentioning um, of the, of the, the, the elf supremacist actually reminds me of a, a minor plot point that I ended up using in my own campaign kind of inadvertently. Oh, nice. Um, so the, the short version is that the cleric player was a half elf and he was like on a quest to try and find his, his mother who had like abandoned him in a, in a dwarven monastery as a child, like sent him away. Okay. So he finds out that his mother's dead and he finds out that his father is the one who did it. Um, finds out that his father is like this, um, this, uh, head of state, basically. Um, there's five city states in this elven kingdom and each one has a head, uh, of each of these city-states, and they make up a, a kind of a large council. And so, naturally, this player swears revenge against his father, because, you know, he was a dirtbag. Um, you know, of course. Because, um, <laughs> you know, as you do. And the reason I mention this is because the players end up saving that guy's city-state from, like, a illithid infestation. Like, an elder brain was, like, taking, oh, yeah. setting up shop underneath the town. Oh, so, yeah. so, they slayed the elder brain and were invited to the mansion to get a reward and the father at the time wasn't aware that like his son was a member of this band of adventurers. He was aware that they were in town, but wasn't aware that the, the adventurers that were being invited to his mansion to get a, an award from like the high council was one in the same. And so naturally the, uh, the player character uses this as the opportunity to expose that his father, uh, killed his mother and, and, you know, slept with the, with the hired help and, you know, you know, like, like I am the, I am your illegitimate son. It's like, yeah, this is a bad time to do that. So, um, they had a, like a, like an anti-planeswalking grenade basically where like oh, nice. when they detonated it, it would prevent anybody from like plane jumping for the next like period or whatever. So he like, took out the, yeah. de- so he took out the device and threw it on the ground. And this can only be interpreted as a hostile act by the dozens of guards that are within the room. Um, sure. And so naturally a fight broke out because they decided that that was a great time to try and assassinate his father in front of dozens of guards. The other, you know, half a dozen heroes that they helped that helped them kill the elder brain, as well as the other four members of the high council. This was clearly not a well thought out plan. Um, (laughs) um, So the reason I bring this up, right, this is kind of a long way of mentioning it. So they ended up killing. um, So the cleric ends up getting killed. Um, he gets okay. disintegrated actually, which is great. oh green ray of death. His father disintegrated him, which was like hilarious. Like he missed the throw by one, and it killed him by one HP. <laughs> That's funny. Um, we ended up we ended up um letting him spark and become a planeswalker as an NPC much later, but um, oh, but nice. but he was effectively killed at that point. Um, and then the father ends up getting killed by like a blast of dragon fire. They had like a potion that would that would let them breathe fire. Anyways. Um, during this, um, this, uh, environment, basically the, one of the members of the high council was a half elf of note, and it was indicated that he was the first half elf to ever be on the high council. And so basically two of the other members of the high council took this as an opportunity to try and assassinate that guy and blame it on the player characters. Um, so they kind of created an opportunity for a civil war to happen and, 
basically the whole thought was like, you know, well, these are people who weren't really happy with the half-elf being on the High Council, because they're kind of elf supremacists as well. Like, we don't mind if the humans want to live in our country, but we're not going to let them run our stuff. Like, this is our place. Um, so I kind of wanted to share that story, because it, it reminded me of that, where it's like, nice. you know, our, our players were not doing a lot of homework on the, uh, on the the political climate before they decided to kill a head of state. <laughs> Oh wow! So yeah, we just talked about uh, no, no, that that that's great. I, I mean, that's a cool thing about the hobby, right? You know, stories like that they stick with you. So yeah, I mean, fact, and that's the, that's it, the whole point. In fact, I remember the Sphere of Annihilation was the center point of one of the first stories I recall you told me. <laughs> funnily enough, oh, okay, okay. Um, uh, you, you had mentioned two of them colliding at one point. Right. Yes. The, oh God. No, I remember that. Oh, one. I've heard cool. this story. <laughs> No, no, yeah, just you know, moving the sphere of annihilation yeah, to yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's things are gonna get sucked in, and uh, we all die. Um, so so we talked so we talked about you know I asked you like you know favorite D and D supplement for pure stations. Uh, uh, let's talk most memorable or favorite characters that you have played. Um, like what's one that sticks out in your mind, Marvin? I'll ask you to go first if you don't mind. Ooh. Gotta pick one. All right, so that you play. We're talking strictly D and D and characters that I have played. It is easily uh, my death cleric, Candor Calabra in Five E. That's a pretty badass name. I'm actually going to steal <laughs> Thank that. You. I put Candor actual effort into Calabra. that name. I'm yeah. I'm so stealing that. Oh, write that stuff down. Um, he was the character I played in the first. 5e campaign i played in my friend sam was running it it was his first campaign that he had ever run and i was kind of there to like nudge the players in in the less chaotic direction so that his campaign didn't totally get derailed and i had a great time it was it was fantastic playing that character i was very powerful for no reason oh Okay, I was just about to ask you what what was the distinct reason why you liked him so much? But was it because he was so powerful? That was one of the main reasons that he's that character sticks in your head as a favorite. He was, he was powerful for no reason. He <laughs> he was the only one using like normal logic. So like I got to be the smart one for once. Nice. <laughs> um, okay. And like he was sarcastic and. He wasn't like aggressive, but he was kind of passive aggressive, which I don't do usually. But like, it was funny. He was only passive aggressive when it was like comedically act- uh, acceptable. So he was a death. I mean, just the name Candor Calabra sounds like a death cleric. So I have a question: Did you did your character like wield a scythe? Yes, yes, he did. How did you yeah, know? I mean, it's a death cleric, right? So why not? <laughs> Okay. No, uh, that's cool. It was it was an enchanted scythe that I could cast my inflict wounds with the range of the scythe. Isn't that like oh, ten I... feet back in the day? It was a yeah. reach weapon back in the day, right? It's, yeah. It's still a reach weapon. So, and is it still a reach okay? Yeah, so I could I could, you know, do an extra five feet for my inflict wounds and that was cool. If it wasn't obvious I wasn't a healer. I was I was a damage <laughs> dealer. Right. <laughs> No, I'm not that guy. Heal me. I'm not that kind of cleric. Sorry. Go to the Sorry, dream. I don't do that. Um, 
Yeah, cool. it was it was a good time. <laughs> nice, nice. And or I'm I'm totally stealing that from you. Um, how about how about you, Owen? What was what's a character oh, in D and D that you've played that you that st- that you still remember that like, oh, I really enjoyed playing this character? That's tough. I will say it's it's almost assuredly one that I've played more recently. Um, okay. Because okay. a lot of my early 3.5 characters didn't really have characters. They were largely just numbers. <laughs> um, right, yeah. Oh, same. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, gosh. So I'm going to say, I think my favorite so far, it's it's probably a toss-up between my Necromancer character and my Goblin Barbarian. So I'm going to go with the Goblin Barbarian, just because I feel like I talk about my Necromancer a lot. Um, so this is going to okay. be the one for today. But if you ask sure. me another night, I might give you a different answer. Fair. Um, so this was a so this was a, a campaign set on Zendikar. Um, our my friend Bobby was running it. Um, oh yes, uh, that's the Magic the Gathering setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so. so I was playing a Zendikar goblin, and at the time, Wizards had released a a Zendikar supplement that had like a I, suggested uh, yes. race. For I have it. Yep, I am familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So um, one of the things that was noteworthy about that is that the goblins in that book were resistant to psychic damage. So I thought, well, shoot, why don't I just play a totem, bar- uh, a bear totem barbarian? And <laughs> oh my god, Owen, you power gamer, you! I know where this is going already. <laughs> so I love it. well, I, so I power game because I, I I was resistant to all damage, but yes. I I did not power game because of everything else that was happening. So, <laughs> so hey, there there is no judgment here. I approve. I totally approve. So I, I love making, this character. So I ended up making a goblin, um, <laughs> who literally ate rocks, um, because goblins on Zendikar eat rocks, um. And he was called Zazi the Beast, and he was the the dumbest, most adorable little goblin who is so angry. Um, and the reason I really enjoyed playing him was um, so his his he was a two weapon fighter. Um, he used a mace and a hand axe, um, and he had at one point he picked up a hand axe that had a teleportation property attached to it, where okay. if I threw it. I could burn a bonus action to either teleport the axe back to my hand, or I could teleport to where the axe was. So, basically, I got a misty step out of an attack action, uh, which was really cool and really fun for mobility. Um, and so, the character ended up being the party face, despite having, like, an 8 charisma. Um, Remember, this goblin is dumb as bricks. He is dumb as bricks. Um, I remember in our first mission, it was great because it was the first time I'd ever played a character who was just completely untethered from worldly possessions. Like, I could not care less. So, uh-huh. like, during the first, like, mission, we're, like, talking to this, like, go- goblin warren mother queen, whatever. And she's, like, having these other goblins bring out these, like, trays of, like, rubies and sapphires or whatever like as, like, a show of wealth. And, like, the other party members are like, ooh, wow. And I was like, I'm just gonna start eating them. And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, I, I, it's like, sure, you eat the sapphires and rubies. It's like, great, okay. And then, like, after the conversation's done, I, like, look to the rest, like, so when, so when are we getting paid? And they're like, that was the pay. It's like, I thought those were the hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> so, nice. uh, um, so it was that, and then it was also that, like, 
it was a character that like despite not having the like skill set for for charisma based challenges i often found myself in positions where i was making those kind of challenges um, make a persuasion check with yeah. minus one <laughs> well again with like an with like an e like it wasn't gonna happen very often um it might have even been like a six, actually. Now that I think about it, I think I may have gone with like the lowest I could do, and I may have had a negative two in charisma. So it might have even been a six. Um, Damn. So, um, but there was a number of situations where like party is in like situation, and like it is down to Zazi to like to figure it out, um, which was quite fun. And it was it was novel because like we were in a party where the other two players were not experienced D and D players, but I was. Mm. So even though like air quotes one of them like probably would have been a better face than i would have been because i kind of had an idea of what i was doing I, they were often like looking to me for guidance so like i recall they're like you know oh should we should we travel to the vampire city capital and and try and go there or, or should we try and you know travel through the mountains through like the sphinx territory and like it was one of those like few times where it's like sometimes things just come to you in the moment and you're you know my character's like you know I, I say vampire capital you know vampires barter nice. with blood I understand that you know that makes sense the sphinxes sure. they trade with words I don't like that as much <laughs> <laughs> I love how you phrase that that's amazing and like the, and that was like one of the like turns of phrase that like always will stick to me right where it's like it was just one of those like improv moments that like just comes to you when you're like you're in character and you're thinking of a way to like communicate in a way that this character would communicate the concept that you have which is like of course the dumb character with like an eight with like an eight intelligence and six charisma is not going to want to go somewhere where sphinxes are involved like even if he can't articulate very well why this is a bad idea he surely will have some strong opinions about it at least the vampires are a known quantity even if they're not great either sure <laughs> wow that's awesome that's awesome um, so uh, I, like, I like i like that I, i'm sorry i'm still thinking of the name zazi the beast it's such a great it's such a great name i'm gonna steal that one too um sorry zazi to answer was your... great and one of my few regrets in life is that i did not get to play in that campaign oh uh, you should you guys should do a new campaign and bring those bring those characters together so, um, anyway, uh, Owen, to answer your question, um, so back in high school, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine at the time, um, he was really good at coming up with character names, and I'm really bad at them. And he, he so this was second edition, and he came up with a paladin named Tyramthacor Ullenbrook. I'm like, wow, it's a fancy name, right? That's so, noble. and, yeah, it sounds very noble. So... I've always been fascinated by that name. So fast forward a decade. Okay. So I think this is like, I was still in South Florida. So it's like about 2003, 2004. Uh, my one friend is like, okay, we're going to play a, a new game of D and D. So this is third edition at this point. And, uh, and he's like, we're going to, we start at our, we didn't start at first level. I think we started at around seventh or eighth level. I couldn't remember. Okay. And the game lasted about three months. But he was like, we're going to do this like old school, like how my uncle played it. I'm like, uh-oh. And he's like, we're going to roll dice for ability <laughs> score generation. I'm like, oh, my God. And we're not, we're not going to do that pansy 4d6 drop the lowest. We're going to roll 3d6. And I'm terrified. Because I know you had mentioned uh, your disdain for, for rolling for dice. And I wanted to, to get your take on this after this story. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, about why I just I don't like random character creation. You want to come back to that later? Yeah, yeah. Essentially? Okay, sure. Um, so, uh, so we start rolling, 
Um, and it's 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 getting ugly. Okay, like there's like five players, and what and, and the DM's being really strict. It's like, no, you rolled an eight. You're gonna keep it somewhere. And you know, and like that one poor person. Like I think like his highest ability score rate was like he had like a fourteen. Okay, it's like all right, you know. Um, oh, yeah, man. the party's gonna and, have to carry uh, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, right. I think he he wound up being a a thief, a rogue. Okay, and so he put his highest score in dexterity, and just like and that's and he he used a bow and he just stayed away from stuff, which was pretty smart. Um, so people are rolling. I choose to go last. I'm like, I'm not doing this now. I go last. I get an actual eighteen. I'm like, wow. I rolled three sixes, and my rest of my scores are not. Bad, like I get like a 14, 15. 15 is not bad. Um, you know, it's they're, they're pretty soft. I can build a character on 18, right? And I got a 15 somewhere, and like they're pretty good until I roll and I get a, I think it was like a five or six, can't remember, but it was low. I'm like, man, what am I gonna do? And they're like, Simon, you have a bunch of pretty decent scores, you know, I like three scores above 15, you know, they're like, you should make a paladin. I'm like, okay, so what am I going to stick the six in? You know, and I, and I, and I think I put like, I didn't want to stick it in dexterity. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I think I, I had an 11. I stuck the, the 11 in dexterity because I rolled pretty decently well. I finally stick the six in intelligence. My wisdom is a 12, but my intelligence is a six. So, and since we started at a high, higher level, I was looking at the player's handbook. I'm like, oh, wait. I get my mount, my paladin's warhorse, and and my and my DM looked at it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. So here's the thing: to role play a really a person with an int that low, you know, it has its own challenges. Especially, I, I'm 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 in real life. I I do like to strategize and everything. So I asked my dungeon master for permission. Like, okay, listen, I'm this is how I'm going to rationalize this. Okay, the guy uh, Teramthicor is he he's he's dumb. All right, he's like one sandwich or two sandwiches short of a picnic basket. Okay, and um, can we say like when I move him in combat, uh, he's actually asking the horse his mount for advice because the mount has an int of ten <laughs> oh, no. or something. Right, I think that like we, we use like the default stats and everything, and 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 like I think like you know because it's an enchant it's it's a it's a gift from your deity. The, the mount has like decent intelligence. His its int was greater than mine, so I said, "Can I talk to the horse?" And he'll talk to me. Uh, and I and I know I called the mount Mister Ed because I couldn't think of a better horse name at the time. Like this is Mister Ed and Mister Ed. Yeah, so Mr. I stayed in mounted combat. I took the appropriate mounted combat feats as well. You know, I would always charge with a lance. Okay, but I definitely role play like from a meta game perspective. I played him like with my intelligence, but I would rationalize it. It's like, well, he asks Mr. Ed for advice. Like, where should we go, Mr. Ed? And Mr. Ed would just silently move me to another part of the battlefield. You know. To- oh, no. Optimizing, optimizing the best way to attack or flank someone, and it worked out well. Or when Mister Ed told me, you know, to smite, I would smite, you know, because it's just the best way to do it. And yeah, that that's holy that, shit. 
Yes, that was, you know, again, it was, you know, it was divine inspiration because he was so stupid. And he and I remember when I would pray, my character would pray, um, he would make sure like Mr. Ed was in the prayer circle with him as well. So and I played it very good. I played it very lawful good as well, because you had I remember you did have alignment restrictions back then for third edition for paladins. Yeah. Um. So I would always try to rationalize it. Like, I remember, like, we had to, like, we, we had to, like, um, like, do something to, like, a neutral NPC, like, steal stuff from them to get, like, an item to further our quest. So I, uh, and I remember my, pa- I had to roleplay, like, well, this isn't good. And then I stopped and I roleplayed out, like, I was communing with Mr. Ed. like, well, Mr. Ed says, we can mug him for the greater good and it'll be fine. <laughs> So yeah, that was oh, so. So no, that was uh, that. That's how I remember how I role played Tyrannicor Ellenbrook. That lasted. Uh, essentially, we didn't. We we did it for six sessions. It was supposed to go longer, but like you know, real life happened and no one could play. And yeah, so yeah, I think we gained like uh, I think we ended the game on like tenth level because we started eighth or something. So that's yeah, but, but that's my favorite character that I can remember. Yeah. So no. So you said you wanted me to roll back, circle back to like why I hate rolling dice for character creation. Yeah, yeah. Because it was an interesting come. Because like I also kind of feel the same way. Um, like I used to roll dice all the time, but I find myself gravitating more towards point by. But I, you've been playing a lot longer than I have, truthfully. So I'm curious. Like, is this a recent development, or is this something that you've kind of like? Do you think that like five E in particular is like kind of nudged you away from rolling for dice? Or? Oh no, this this started third edition, really, because okay. third edition really told you, hey, you could roll forty six, but you know they were like at that point the internet was in its infancy, right? And it's like you know you you could do actually I can't remember now. Third edition even had a point by system. I thought it did. I can't it remember. It yeah. does. Okay, it does, right? I'm not crazy. So yeah, we we I, we it was just it seemed more fair out of the gate because no one has a feels bad moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, like you're looking at your character sheet, like oh man, like like in my example earlier with Tyranthicor in that party, my friend who rolled his thief, well, he only chose a thief because his only good score was a fourteen, and you know what? When in doubt, dump it in dexterity so you won't get hit, and you can still use a bow and be somewhat useful. You know, mm-hmm. um, in, and I noticed like in thir- starting from third edition, you had these abilities now, right? Where like it depended on your score, your on your on your modifier and everything, and 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 then and the math should ha- should add up at certain levels. In first edition and second edition, it really didn't matter. Um, you 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 could roll randomly, and it's like okay, whatever. It, it is what it is. Excuse me. So, because of that, of a sense of fairness, I, I wanted a sense of fairness out of the starting gate. I gravitated more towards point, point by fourth edition. Really cemented it for me as well. There's like no way in hell I am allowing, you know, rolling because if someone rolls better than the mm-hmm. average, it it re- that person becomes a star of the group. And I was actually in a group where the dungeon master let one person roll. And we watched her rolls. There's 46, dropped the lowest die. Like, she had an 18, two 16s, and, and, like, her lowest score was, like, a 14. It was amazing. And, like, she outshone the party in combat. Um, and 
I was okay with it because it, I was older than the rest of the group, but I could see how other people didn't like it. You could tell they were bored. They're like, well, Sarah, that was her name. Sarah, well, Sarah's monk, you know, is going to kill all those people. I'm just going to like go over there and hit like random minion gob cobalt number five instead. You know, and I, you know, and, and the DM was very, he, he meant well. I understood where he was coming from, um, but he was out of his element, you know, and I didn't want to be like that guy's like, yo, dude, you should do that. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to be that player. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I, you know, but it is what it is. Uh, so that's why. And yeah, fourth edition really cemented me. And for fifth edition, especially I, I, I like when I do a game listing on, on roll 21, I'm the DM. I tell people, no, this is, this is the method of characterization. We use point by on page, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, uh, and I'll ask a DM if I join their game, like, do you allow, what would your character? And he, uh, uh, I've been with a few that are like, oh, we allow both. And that's usually a red flag for me, but like, okay, I don't care too much. So, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. So I give you a very long-winded answer there. No, that's okay. That's I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. that's that's good. And, and that's the thing, right? Like, because I remember, like, when I was younger and I used to to play, one of the things that I didn't like was that dynamic of, like, sometimes uh, players would just have, like, exploding dice, and they would just roll these incredible like spreads, um, you know, like couldn't pick it better. And then other t- and the other thing too is like in three point five in particular because that was the system that I grew up with. There was a lot of classes that just did not function without like a healthy point spread. Like sure. you cannot play monks in three point five unless you have like minimum three stats that are like a plus two at least. Correct. Um. So like there are yep. definitely like instances where I know in the past where I've wanted to play a character. And just, I had to completely scrap the idea because I just, I don't have the stats for it. Like, I have to do something else. And, like, that kind of feels bad, too. Um, and so I remember when I was DMing, I would take a lot of, like, I didn't know that there was a point-by system. I think if I had come across those rules earlier, I probably would have switched to them a lot sooner than I did. So my my rolling philosophy ended up being so skewed towards removing the randomness that, like, functionally, everybody had incredibly high stats all the time. Like, that's, that's like, one way to go about it. Yeah. I mean, for better or worse. So, like, I want to walk you through, like, the, the generation that I used for some of my earlier campaigns. Everybody starts with an 18. Everybody gets one 18. For all other stats, you roll 46, reroll ones and twos, drop the lowest number. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I've gone through that phase. I've, I've known other Dungeon Masters have gone through that phase as well. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 there's definitely a, an arguable premise for it, right? It's like, hey, you know what? The players are special, and um, especially in Dungeons & Dragons, by default is heroic fantasy, zero to hero, right? That's the whole mm-hmm. fantasy. We sell them. Um, so, yeah, so w- w- why not? kind of skew the odds in their favor a bit. They're heroes. They're supposed to be heroes. So, yeah, exactly. I get it. You know, and, no. you know, going through the extra, the loops of trying to, you know, give them extra stuff here and there, like, that's all fine and good. But what I realized, um, for me at least, is that I find the characters who, that have some weaknesses here and there, A, are a lot easier to GM, because you can actually exploit some weaknesses every once in a while. But sure. B, I just find make more interesting characters. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. 
Um, I feel like Owen and I are monopolizing the conversation. What are your thoughts, Marvin? No, no, please monopolize. Oh, okay. I know you're feeling a little under the weather, so. Um, uh, On, you know what, on this idea of like, you know, like, you know, give a, you know, what in characterization, give him at least 118, you know, and like, you know, 46, ignore ones and twos, drop below his dive, blah, blah, blah. You're going to get a really high spread. And again, it goes to that idea. It's like, hey, you know what? I want people to feel good. You, you know, and, and as a dungeon master, you want players to enjoy having a good time at your table because it's easier to conceive of like them enjoying their character if they have like above average ability scores as opposed to like, Yo, Owen, man, this D and D game. I don't know. Is my is it like my guy supposed to be like this week? I've got like a constitution of six, and like this house cat just hit me, and like I'm down to like one hit point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, it, so, so I I totally get it. And, and well, that's the thing too, right? Because you know you have to wonder. It's like, do these characters feel less special because they have such high scores? Like because everybody has a really high spread. Like I I also somewhat wonder like. Are these characters just less interesting, like less unique? Because, like, yes, like, wow, I have an eighteen and three sixteens and two fifteens. It's just like, yeah, like, so does everybody else in the party, so, bud? Sure. So now it becomes it, it it becomes its own version of power creep, right? So because a game dies when players are disengaged, and one one way, one road to disengagement is to not feel challenged or threatened. Okay. And, uh, you know, no one wants to, like, roll an encounter, roll over an encounter, like, in two rounds until the DM's like, yeah, man, that, I mean, that was cool. I got to hit things and they died, but I didn't feel threatened at all. I mean, the most exciting moments are like, oh, man, my character could die here. You know, everyone wants to feel challenged. So now it becomes power creep. So, like, you've started your your players at level one with this these awesome above average ability scores. And now you got to think, okay, you know what? All my kobolds have, like, max hp and like this and the scorpion on a stick weapon they're armed with that scorpion is an extra nasty kind of scorpion if i hit them like they save or they die instantly i mean you just go nuts <laughs> with it right so by the way i love the idea of like kobolds wielding a scorpion on a stick because you know, it goes into that it whole archetype of like you know the kobold being like these master like cutting trapsters and inventors of stuff so yeah. Um, of, a, of a campaign idea that I've always wanted to run for like a one shot slash like you know s- slotted into an ongoing campaign. So I like the idea of these. So I, I don't know how to execute this necessarily, but here's my idea: a clan of lizard folk come across a wish scroll, and okay. they they use the wish scroll, and their wish is something very simple, like you know, because as lizard folk, as these lizard folk live in the swamps, they just you know, you know, it's like, you know, what, you know, the, the, the shaman says we can wish for anything. And so the chief comes forward and says, we wish for the best weapons. And instantly every magical item in the world teleports into a cache in the wizard thing. Every legendary item of note, every single one. And like an artifact yes. power. Okay. Yes. These right. like love, like CR one lizard folk. Now have the, the legendary like plus three vorpal sword and you know the the world sundering like everything right and so I want the campaign like this to get slotted in because one day the players wake up and all of their magical weapons are gone and when I they like go it. to go to a shop to like try and buy more they're gone too 
And so mm. now they get to try and track down what's happened. They find out that a merchant was upset because their wish scroll got pilfered by some local lizard folk. And now they get to go fight the lizard folk, who are now armed to the teeth with what can only be described as the most terrifying weapons to put in the hands of people who do not know what they do. Wow. No, that that's that's cool. I, I really like that premise a lot. And that'd be fun for like a mini campaign, definitely like maybe three or four sessions where you have your player start at level 20. Right. And they are, you know, and the premises or the idea is that, yeah, they, they've already mastered, they're masters of the realm. They have all these magic weapons. And what, what you described just happened. You know, those little folk use the wish scroll. And uh, it's fifth edition, it could work too, because fifth edition, even though I have lots of criticisms with its edition, one thing they did do right is like you could practice, you can get away with not giving any player or any character any magic item and they could still feel powerful at 20th level. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, and I don't care about those people like, well, what about marshals? You know, they need, no, no. Even a 20th level fighter, playing 20th level fighter is still going to, it's still going to feel pretty damn, you know, awesome. You know, he may not feel as awesome as like a 20th level wizard who can cast all these, you know, earth shattering spells. Your devastation, feel, right? Yeah, like, but he'll like, still feel awesome in his own right. He'll, he'll enjoy his eight attacks in one round. Something like that. Yeah, it's when he action surges, you know, and stuff like that. Um, no, the that's, that's really cool. The going to be like, yeah, is it my turn yet? It's like, nope, nope, the fighter still right? has an action surge. No, oh, he's, he's two he's, weapon fighting. Yep, so that's ten exactly. attacks or whatever it is, or nine attacks. Jeez. Or, yeah, something obnoxious like that. So, yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, you should totally follow through with that. You should make a yeah a quick like you know for twentieth level because people would you know most rarely do campaigns go to that level. I know your campaign is still ongoing, right? But it's a nice little again power fantasy to 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 be in. It's like oh I'm at twentieth level because people I'm sure have theory crafted like oh man if I ever get X character twentieth level I'm gonna like get these feats and get these abilities and whatever, you know, so it's cool that way. I get my DM to give me this magic weapon and it, like, right. you know, it's, they'll disappear. <laughs> well, the other <laughs> thing is, like, it's really visceral when you take something away from a player, like, people, mm-hmm. like that gets personal real quick. <laughs> sure, sure. No, no. Uh, yeah, I, I, so. I try not to get attached to the magic items my, my DM gives me. You know, in so. fact, actually, if you wanted to really, like, you know, throw a wrench in things, you could make the, the weapons vanish mid, like, important fight. Yeah, it's like they're fighting the Tarrasque. They're in the middle <laughs> of fighting the Tarrasque. If you start in media res, like what movies do, right? In the middle yeah, of the action, yeah. they're fighting the Tarrasque, and all their good, sh- their good stuff is gone. Now, you don't want to be completely evil about this, so they have backup weapons. You know, exactly. And like they have mundane weapons they still have. Right. Or like maybe they're yes. like able to like scrounge some around from like some other monsters they've they've slain. Right. Sure. Like they're in the sure. Of fighting a lich. Yeah. And, and they're like, did the lich right. do something? Yes, exactly. And you could say like because they've lost their like magic items, like the terrasse that gets away because it was in pain, getting its ass kicked. So and now they got to figure out like, oh man, we need our magic stuff back to kill the terrasse. Or even better, right? Like, so let's say they're fighting a a lich, right? And the lich's magic staff also disappears. So, like... Oh, yeah! So so it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Like, you know, then they just, like, you know, quickly continue to to curb stomp the lich, even though they don't have their weapons, because the lich is right too. Um, Exactly. But then when they they go... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, like, when they go and find the the shaman in the in the lizard folk village, because like they just want strong weapons so they can fight the other lizard clans and get more territory. It's a very right. simple like, and that's what I really like is like a lot of times when we look at wish spells, 
the DMs look for ways to, like, twist the wording to, like, screw people over. But, like, we never look at wish spells that are used by NPCs, hardly ever. And so I really oh, like yeah. the idea of, like, a very simple wish getting some really broad strokes. Like, this uh-huh. is way better than, like, any wish has any right to be. But, like, come on. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I, I, I love it. I love it. If you ever, if you ever do that game, let me know. If I have time, I'll join in. Over I, will, I, will, I will definitely over, do that. Yeah, over virtual tab- tabletop. So, you know, we talked about, you know, the power fantasy and, you know, D&D is really good at that. And uh, so, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, I was at Gen Con last week, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, an interesting anecdote I want to talk to you guys about. And I wanted to mention this in the previous episode I was on, but we ran out of time because we were talking about other interesting things. So at one point, uh, I forgot what day it was. um, I went back to my hotel room. And, um, interestingly, uh, it was at a time where a lot of people weren't about, and this other person gets in the elevator with me and we look at each other, say hi, um, through our masks. And I can see he was, he was, uh, running some sort of event and he could see by my outfit, I was running some sort of event as well. So we make small talk and he was telling me he was running a game of Dungeons and Dragons for uh he he for the past two days he's been running like four games of eight hours each and he's exhausted that sounds miserable yeah but he said but he said he had a lot of fun he uh, yeah he said he had a lot of fun though um he's losing his voice but he had a lot of fun and uh i'm like wait as long as you had fun man that that's the point he's like yeah the company that brought him in like paid for his hotel room and paid for his con badge i'm like cool man that's that's really sweet and he said and he's like oh man you know i gotta be honest i love D D, but like man the system just fights me like uh i don't like how so now it was getting to my floor my floor was the sixth floor but his floor was on the 13th floor okay and I actually wrote up with him the 13th floor because I found his story fascinating because he said um, the players had role-played their characters in a very cowardly way. And he didn't know what penalty mechanic – he didn't know what to do mechanically. Like he felt like, us- like using – like imposing a disadvantage role uh, would be too mean, but he didn't know what was the middle ground. Like they weren't role-playing heroic heroes. You know, and he didn't know, and, 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 and I thought, and he said he was really frustrated with the system, you know, because there was no guidelines or mechanical precedent. I mean, the only thing the, de- the book would suggest is like, you know, for bonuses, use advantage, for, for, for penalties, use disadvantage and, and go on with your life, right? And he wished there was something more nuanced for something. And I actually was fascinated by this. So I rode with him to the 13th floor and, um, and I'm like, well, dude, I hope. Uh, it was Saturday. I remember this now. So Sunday he had another like session of like two more sessions or something like that. Um, I wished him luck and it made me think about what I, I remember a Reddit post. Uh, I want to share it with you guys. So I want you to imagine you are the dungeon master of a fifth edition game. Okay. And you've led your players through this very nefarious dungeon crawl. Your players are a party. They're trying to rescue their friend. They're you know, the, 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 their friend. It's a friend and ally of the party. It's a close ally of the party. And they've been taken away by nefarious agents and they're being tortured. And as they send to the dungeon, they can hear the screams of their friend being tortured. Okay. Um, 
session wise, it's, this has gone on for a couple sessions now. Um, they are on the last level to breach like the boss's room to rescue their friend. None of them has had a long rest and they've expended most of their resources. Okay. They can set up for a short rest easy enough. There's a, there's a room they can, they can like, that's just above the boss's room, the floor. Okay. And there's a vent where they can hear the screams of their friend being tortured. Okay. The players decide for the sake of regaining their resources they are not going to continue. They're going to long rest here because they've cleared this floor. Okay. And, you know, <laughs> it's, but they can hear the screams of their friend oh, being yes. tortured, right? And mm-hmm. one of the players is a paladin. The other is a lawful good son cleric. Okay. Uh, the other one, we'll just say he's like a freaking, he's a power gamer. So he did like the paladin warlock route. You know, so he dumped everything charisma and like, he could just short rest and get all his stuff back. Okay, for the most part. Um, yeah, but they choose to long rest. And the dungeon master is frustrated. Like, he understands from a player perspective, they, they, they need their stuff back or else it's going to be a super rough fight. They may even die. But if, uh, you know, but if they, you know, but yeah. And, and so... You know, so the dungeon master describes, okay, as you rest, as you rest, you know, just kind of chilling out, you hear the tortured, anguished screams of your friend as his skin is being flayed off of him and stuff like that. You know, and da da da. And in the in rules as written, there's not a lot you can do, right? There's not a lot you can do. There, there is nothing. There are no mechanics to reinforce the narrative. That you're telling that you guys have chosen the cowardly route and you're gonna rest up uh like little bitches, okay, and not go forward. Um right. I I I believe me, I'm guilty of that as well. But you know, so you, you so what so, just described what happened in the last Lich dungeon crawl. Like this happened oh, really? like the, the NPC that got disintegrated was captured by this lich and was being tortured and vivisected, and they, they long rested. They long rested, right? I, I mean, yeah, and, 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 you know, so, and maybe you could, like, impose role-playing penalties, or, like, you could do, like, Oh, there were some role-playing penalties for this. You know, or, or not role-playing penalties, <laughs> but, like, there, there are consequences. Like, the person, like, so maybe in your scenario, they defeated the lich, or in, the, in a scenario, I'm drawing from Reddit here, like, they defeated the bad guy, but, like, their, 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 their friend is, like, permanently scarred, like, mentally. You know, and, and there are ramifications for that down the line or whatever. So this segues into there is this system. It's called Shadow of the Demon Lord. It's a great system. Um, the, great one, the people, so yeah, Shadow, yeah, Shadow <laughs> of the Demon Lord. Shadow of the Demon Lord has its uh, game engine DNA, DNA based in Dungeons and Dragons, so it uses a D twenty for. conflict resolution okay what the writer for child the demon lord uh he actually wrote for like a lot of third edition and fourth edition books okay um anyway in shadow the demon lord there is a it it's mechanical rule set would reinforce this kind of narrative and again i didn't make this up uh someone on on reddit 
wrote about this, and I have Shadow of the Demon Lord, so I, I, I gave that guy an upvote. Okay, so what would happen in the Shadow Lord, the Shadow of the Demon Lord system, if this this scenario was to happen, they would say the game master would give the players corruption. Okay, usually you start with zero corruption. Okay, but because you've listened to the angry screams of your ally all night, you gain points of corruption, and like if you get X amount of corruption effects, you can gain what's called a mark of darkness, where like you know awful things would happen. Like you can only eat rotting, spoiled food. If you eat anything else, you vomit it up within minutes. Or like you grow a sixth finger on each hand and a sixth toe on each foot, you know, or just just crazy stuff like that. And then the, because of that, you become insane and whatever. And and the you know the role playing, you role play this way. You choose the easier path. You know there are mechanical reinforcements and, and stuff like that so and so i just brought that up to show my demonstration or show my feelings about you know D is D does heroic fantasy very well but like when your heroic characters have to make these choices to like yeah man i'm sorry dude i'm out of spell slots and i'm not a warlock so I need a long so, Yeah, rest. but like I know that things have been rough, but like I am tapped. Like yeah. I could go in there right now and probably die trying to help you, or you can put up with it for eight hours. I'm gonna get some shut eye, and we're gonna mm-hmm. rehash this in the morning. Yes, and it's like yeah. So I'm getting my eight hour rest. Um, actually, personally, so just to play devil's advocate for myself, what if I was forced in that scenario? I would definitely make, I would probably make every player roll a wisdom saving throw while attempting to rest with an earshot of their friend being tortured. And if they fail, I would say they didn't get the benefits, the full benefits of a long rest. Like I wouldn't screw over like, like, well, I I still don't want to screw over like the cleric or wizard or people who need to give their resources or like, I would say they mainly gain partial resources back. You know what I'm saying? So, like, they don't get all their spell slots because I, I'm, I, I don't like, I don't like the whole binary like all or nothing either, you know. But I definitely, but there's got to be some penalty, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. like you're a sixth level wizard and you failed that wisdom saving throw, so yeah, um, you're supposed to get two third level spell slots back. No, you only get one instead. Or if they really failed the saving throw, maybe they do margin to failure. Uh, you get none of your third level spell slots back, but you've got everything else first and second level you know i mean I, that's a fair compromise that that would be my suggestion if i was forced mm. that position okay i feel like i really monopolized the mic there yeah, no, what are your what, what what are your thoughts on that i mean it's tough like d like 5e is not built for that sort of thing and i can understand the frustration because like i run into that a lot with my current party where sometimes they make decisions that are less than heroic i would say um so like case in point right so this this NPC was was being tortured and vivisected by this lich, and like they went through the whole dungeon to save him. And then they were so they ended up fighting this lich in two stages. During the initial room, they fought this lich along with like a simulacrum they had made. And okay, and during, nice. it was it was really cool. So like they're fighting this lich. It's like if you can imagine this room that is um it is a pretty large room. I want to say it's maybe like forty by forty grid right um the there's like a central hallway in this room and then outside of that central hallway every like five feet there's like a a two-foot pillar of metal right 
So, like, this is a heavily okay. obstructed room. If you are standing on one corner, you cannot see to the other side very easily, um, unless you're in this central hallway area. And on the floor, there's this, like, metal grating with, like, some water running beneath it. So, um, which was convenient because the Lich has, like, a tidal wave spell. So they could pull the water oh, nice. up underneath to, like, knock people Sure, out. sure. Um, nice. So the whole point of this room was I wanted to mess with um, with line of sight, uh, make it so that people cannot engage with this lich very easily without getting very close to it, um, sure. you know, or to be in direct line of sight, like from it as well. There isn't really anywhere you can hide all that well, um, while still being able to get an angle on it. So it's they're fighting against this lich. The lich is playing like support magic and like other nasty stuff and the simulacrum is largely like melee focused so it's taking care of um it's like a, it's tanking yeah it's, it's tanking. tanking it's tanking mm-hmm. um so they end up fighting it once the simulacrum starts to get beat up and the lich drops to like i want to say like 50 percent hp it threw up a greater invisibility spell and left <laughs> um and fled deeper into the dungeon so they, they, so they would have to try and track it down. So they end up. Um, so they know that their friend is beyond, right? They end up killing. Uh, they end up. It actually is worse because not only do they decide to not um, to not immediately pursue the lich and instead rest, but they also decided to. They almost decided to not bring back the rogue who died in this fight. They honestly no, re- consider- no revivify. No well, one they, had revivify. They did. They had a, res- a full resurrection. They were just like, oh. well, maybe we shouldn't spend the spell slot. Maybe we should just bring him back after we kill the lich, assuming that wow. they could of course go through and do it without him. That's amazing and sad at the same time. <laughs> I remember the player just was incredulous. He's just like, really, guys? Like, you're just gonna leave Dude, me dead? I'm dead. What the hell, man? I had wow. to go. And then I said in character, guys, you know, we can't kill that thing without him, right? And nice. they were like, I think we could do it. And I was like, y'all are stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, the person who died, he was, was he a rogue? He was the rogue. He's like their principal deeps. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's spike damage. You get sneak attack in. That's a lot of damage. You need that. So Just they, straight so. up, my character went, you know, we can't kill it without him, right? Well, we it's could like, do it it's like it's... I get that no one likes the rogue but like this is a bridge too far surely sure oh my so... god it'll be fine and the one who could do the revive was like you know maybe you're right and I was like right maybe. <laughs> you know, <it's> just... <laughs> yeah so so what ended up happening was two major downsides was one by the time they found the the cleric the NPC um, he was missing an arm. Like, just he didn't have one anymore. Mm-hmm. His, wow. his shield arm was gone. Okay. Um, so, like, that was a pretty significant, like, downside. And he was, like, incredibly emaciated. But he still volunteered to help, right? They they rescued him. But they didn't find the lich yet. So he offered help try and kill the lich with them. Like, okay. in exchange for saving his life. Um, mm-hmm. So they gave him they gave him a sword. And, like, he was in rags and a sword. But he still had some spell slots. So, like, there was that. Um, he had, like, crafted. He had, like like crafted a like rudimentary holy symbol out of like some stuff he had found in his cell. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you know, that's something that I don't think like, you know, we think about it's like, you know, holy symbol could be made of anything. Um, yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I still remember old school Dracula movies where Peter Cushing played Abraham Van Helsing and he would just take two sticks and make a cross and Christopher yep. and Dracula would like run away. 
yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that so, um, mm-hmm. so that was the the first kind of primary downside is that like the 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 cleric was like kind of irreparably maimed. Um, the second downside was that because they spent the extra day in the dungeon, they were a day behind schedule in trying to stop the big bad evil guy from destroying their plane. So by the time they went back to try and get back to their home plane to stop the big bad evil guy, he had destroyed their plane already, so they couldn't go back home. Oh, uh, so wow! So it was kind of worst case scenario, but like it's one of those like delayed gratification things where like I know they've made a terrible choice, but they don't know it until like three weeks from now. Sure, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, but I definitely like sympathize with that DM, right? Because like in three point five, at least, like if you want to try and. Maybe not 3.5, but, like, in certain systems, there are ways where, like, you can kind of penalize them. I know, like, Saga's Edition, right? They have, like, the dark side point scale where it's, like, yes. if they did something uh-huh. cool, you give them Which a dark side point. Which is based off of 3.5. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can give them a dark side point, and then if the dark side yes. points exceeded their wisdom score, then they would just become an NPC. You lost your character. Yep. Straight up. Yes. So it's like, oh, okay. Oh. Like... I get it here. We have to be heroes because if not, you take my toys away. You know, st- you talking about Star Wars Saga Edition? I realize. Uh, I'm sorry. I, this is a, this is a random jump in topic. Uh, the last character I played in Star Wars Saga Edition was actually ten years, no, nine years ago. So it'd be 2013. I was a I was an assassin droid. Oh, I and or, or or a bodyguard droid. I was a military droid, right? Mm-hmm. And my because my friend was playing a Mon Calamari doctor. Okay, he was oh, a Mon. Oh, Cal- no way! I played a, a Gungan doctor. Yeah, he was a Mon Calamari doctor, and I protected him. And I remember his character would always like take the help action, right, to help other people and stuff like that. But he named my droid. This is going to be horribly racist because I'm Asian. So <laughs> I was trying to think of a name. For the droid, and we couldn't think of anything. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, I have an idea. Since I'm I'm the doctor's sidekick bodyguard droid, have you guys ever seen the Green Hornet? Oh, and Lord. they're like, yes. So I was Kato, but I was K eight T zero. So Kato, oh, that no. was my designation. <laughs> yes, and I murdered shit all the time for the doctor. So yes, I was Kato. Yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, how long has this episode gone on for now? Uh, quite a while. We're going to be wrapping up shortly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this, that might be a a good point. Yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're an Asian viewer or listener out there, I apologize if I offended you. So, but um, yeah. Um, I'm, Chinese. I'm half Chinese. Oh, there you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's um, okay. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's okay. Oh man, he was he was a great droid too. Yeah, yeah. I say I really um, liked uh, Saga Edition. I'm gonna finish on this point, but like I really loved Saga Edition for like how everybody wants oh, to play a Force user, but every other class other than the Force users was broken. Sure, um, because <laughs> I mean, like they had to be to fight Force powers. <laughs> yeah, they, they were not. They were not fair. Um, the, like the the armor customization the like droid customization like it was it was an incredible amount of specificity that you could go oh, into yeah. in designing those droid characters like if if you had yes no i agree if you had a higher if you had a great knowledge of like characterization player like like knowledge of how to work the system you could make some overpowered stuff in that oh, system yeah. 
which was I would I argue is a feature and not a bug. So, yeah. Story, I'm yeah. sorry, Owen. I I interrupted you. Oh no, um, no, that was that was, that was, that was great. It's great. <laughs> um, very cool, very cool. Yeah, I mean, the Sagas is definitely a system that like I I love. I spent a lot of time playing. I I would have a hard time going back to it now because of like, oh, sure. how different it is from 5e and how long it's been since I've played. But you're saying I should start a Saga Edition campaign yes. and you'll play it. <laughs> yeah, nice. silly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, wow. That, that, that's awesome. So, um, all right, very cool. Um, so we actually had some questions um, from the audience I did want to get to, um, but we're kind of out of time. So oh, have... wait. Pick pick a good question, though. Pick All right, one good fine, question. Fine. I'll, I'll... Let's do one of them. All right, fine. So we'll we'll do one of them. Uh, let me see here. So... All right, fine. This is, this is going to be the one. So this is kind of on topic. So um, if someone likes tabletop role-playing games but doesn't like D&D, what would be the recommended game that you would... What game would you recommend to them? That's tough. That now the follow up question is: What kind of genre of fantasy do you like? Do you like sci fi? Do you like urban fantasy? Um, they don't like D anD D, but they like tabletop role playing games. Yeah, so that's, um, that's a tough question because I think that's like, well, why don't you like D anD D? Right? <laughs> like that's yeah. the big question. So, I don't, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Martin. I don't know that I have one answer to this without knowing more information. But yeah. My go-to is always Star Wars Saga Edition, and that's that's not a joke. If you don't like D&D, but you want to play a TTRPG, and you don't hate Star Wars, that's probably what I'm going to suggest. So, I'm going to make some assumptions about the, about this question. Like, maybe, okay, they, they, they don't want to play high fantasy. Okay. So if they want to play, I'm going to go. This Dungeon Dragons is the mo- by sales wise, it's the most popular. Dungeon D and D five E is the most popular role playing game right now, right? Sales wise, mm-hmm. the second one behind that is probably Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition, which is the current edition. So maybe they want that kind of role playing experience, except you know, very narrative heavy, um, very like grim, like you know, your character is probably going to go insane by the end of the campaign. Um, if, if, if they don't like D&D because again, they don't like high fantasy, but they want to play another flavor of fantasy, I would suggest maybe, oh gosh, uh, a low, I just mentioned, I just mentioned earlier, uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord, which is very grim, dark kind of fantasy. Like you want more gritty, right? Like maybe like you, maybe you're a fan of the anime berserk. All right. That I would mention, I would definitely push Shadow of the Demon Lord. Okay. Um, another one, maybe if you like, you know what, uh, a Gen Con, uh, one of the volunteers I was working with, uh, she likes really narrative heavy role-playing games. There's a wonderful role-playing game called Fate, the RPG, which you can get a free copy of off of their website. If you type in like Fate RPG, um, you'll get hits to the website where you could download like their basic core rule set, um, which it, it's very much a, a storytelling system. Uh, yeah, those those are my go-to recommendations without having any more uh, info. You know what? This is kind of fun, Owen. Can we answer another question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- there's two more questions that we have lined up. Um, and I don't actually have an answer because I don't think I have enough experience with like other 
five like other D D games to where I could like give an honest answer. Um Right. So I think those are those are really great suggestions though. And, and I think that like for me, if you don't like D and D, like the common denominator is probably either A high fantasy, um you don't want to play necessarily something like that, or there's some mechanical gripe you have with the system that like rubs you the wrong way for whatever reason. Sure. Um, all right. So next question. So um, kind of switching to Dungeons and Dragons from first edition to fifth edition, what mechanics of D and D have objectively gotten better and would have gotten worse? <laughs> Holy wow! That's a doozy. What's gotten better? Um, I'm I would say because I'm going to say armor class. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't like counting negative armor class is better you heathen no i'm just joking <laughs> i'm sorry thaco was a, like an abomination right i i love thaco i love looking at that chart so. yeah it's fun to look at but like it seems don't. miserable to <laughs> no it is it is terrible yeah it's it's a relic of 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 late 80s game design it should stay there <laughs> i agree um so but I, i'm sorry I, I know you were about to answer Oh no no you're you're okay. Um, getting rid of speed factor. So for those of you who don't know, speed factor was very prominent in second edition. Was uh, another attribute to your weapon that would affect your initiative. In second edition, you rolled initiative every round, and if you wielded a dagger, you had a bonus to your speed, which is a plus in your speed factor, which meant you might. The chances were higher you would go first, as opposed to a guy swinging a pole arm who had a negative speed factor to his weapon. If I remember how it went correctly, I remember in high school we did it for a while, and we're like, "Screw this!" And there was a little side panel that said, "You don't have to use speed factor if you don't want to," and we kind of ditched it. <laughs> so yeah, um, no getting rid of speed factor. You know what? The things that have gotten better is reducing modifier bloat. Okay, you saw a modifier bloat happen. It really ballooned in third edition. It didn't get any better with 3.5. It got super insane in fourth edition. Okay, in fifth edition, we have advantage and disadvantage, which is fairly elegant. It's not a perfect answer, but it is fairly elegant. You know, so uh, to, uh, my current dungeon master, for example, um, uh, when he uses, I warrant, you know, he, he uses the flanking rule where like, if you flank, you use advantage, which is super powerful. So we always go for flanks in my games. When you flank in my games, I give you a plus two because I can add plus two in my head. It doesn't old, bother me. 3.5 third edition yes. bonus. Uh-huh, which, yes, and it was a fourth edition thing as well. Um, so, because I, I, modifiers don't scare me. I, I don't mind. I notice the newer generation of player, they don't like to deal with it if it's not plugged in and calculated into their character sheet on Roll20. They, 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 they don't want to do the modifier, which I kind of respect in a way because you know but okay i still judge them a little bit because i'm 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 just a bastard that way so i mean it's real uh, i judge math. them a lot <laughs> i judge them a lot we have let me tell you about one of the players in our campaign right oh no all right let's hear it it's it's honestly it's just like if a thing isn't macroed into his character sheet he can't figure out what the modifier is and it's just <laughs> It's maddening. It's you just want to take a one smack. Yeah, you have all the um, numbers on your character sheet. You just have to know which numbers to add. And if you need help figuring it out, ask the question. 
and he never asks. Sure. Yeah, it's just, I mean, again, but to be fair, I mean, I try to, I try to be open-minded about this. I'm totally with you, Marvin. I, I'm totally with you. That was my knee-jerk reaction. But to be fair, some people have learned D&D for the first time during the pandemic over a virtual tabletop, like World 20, right? So it's, mm. it's really tough for them without the macro. You know, or if the macro is not programmed, for, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, 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 maybe I'm trying to be overly sympathetic and empathetic, you know, maybe we should just judge them. I don't know. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Like in some respects I can get it in this particular um, person's case, no excuse. We started playing well before we had to lock up. Um, oh really? Oh, okay. It's not like they yeah, learned on this macro. We learned in paper and pen, like, oh, uh, like yeah, they've gotten they, lazy. The macros have made them worse at this than they were. Oh, uh, okay. Then yes. Then you definitely need to shame them. In, <laughs> I do in, in front of everyone. Good for you. I do. Um, Here we are. Right. Look, I'm we doing it right now. So, so when um, to the, there's a second part to that question, like what things have gotten worse. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my opinion, I feel D fifth edition D and D is the blandest edition of them all. It's a very safe edition. It doesn't really really push the boundaries on anything uh, it doesn't take any design risks um and uh I, I and uh like for example like how like everything now is like an ability is like oh um rangers can uh so you know uh the ranger can cast hunter's mark which i think is a second level ranger spell i may concentrate on it right yeah. you know in previous edition that was an ability you know, they had. So everything is now a spell on a spell list. There's a cool modularity to that. So people can be inventive when they homebrew classes. I kind of hate it in a way, like how everything's a spell. But that's just a person. Again, this is a personal opinion. I don't think it takes enough design risks. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we might see now because we're getting into the eighth year of the game. Yeah, it is eight years because the game came out wild to think about. August. Yeah, I came out August 2014. I was still remember I was at Gen Con when they were like, you know, you get the pre-release of like players' handbooks, and a Yugi. I was working a Yu-Gi-Oh event at the time, and the Yu-Gi-Oh just look what I got: the players' handbook for the edition. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So we're starting to see some interesting design choices now, but I still argue it's the most blandest. Is that a bad thing? It doesn't have to be. I still like a good old plain cheeseburger. Nothing wrong with a good old plain cheeseburger. It's comfort food. Right, so I mean, arguably, yeah. it's gotten it's helped make the game way more popular. Like, yes, it's like bland is accessible. accessible. Yes, exactly. Bland can mean accessible, you know. So that's that's not a bad thing, you know. But again, you know, I, the, the the question was, what do you think is worse? I think that's the worst. It, it, yeah, it takes so, no design risks. Okay, so. so, what do you mean by design risk? Because it's a little bit vague. Like for, like, uh, I think I have an idea of what you mean, but like for someone who's not familiar with what you might mean by that, like, sure. Like taking a risk in this. Okay, fourth edition it was a huge risk in the design space, making every class have like these powers. You know, throwing out spell slots entirely for dungeon for Dungeons Dragons players that was a huge slaying of a sacred cow. How could you get rid of spell slots? Now we have what these daily powers and encounter powers and and what is this? What what the hell is a healing surge? You know, that, and that because characters in fourth edition could, like, you know, as an action, access their healing search to heal themselves, you know, without a cleric. And it was like, it was, it was design breaking at the time. Uh, some people, they thought it, it went too far. That's without, that's, that's why we now have Pathfinder. Okay. 
Um, yeah, there, it, there's not enough. It's just too, it's, it's, it's too safe. You know, it, 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 it's too traditional. Like I would like to see them get rid of spell slots personally. Oh, really? Yes. I don't like your, your hill you want to die on. Oh, totally. That's a relic of like freaking like there's a novel. I think it's called the, by John Vance. That's why it's called Vancean Spellcasting. I forgot what it was called now. Where the idea was like the wizard would look at his spell book and he'd prepare it and would enter his brain. And when he cast the spell, the memory of the spell is gone for is gone until he rested again. That's where you get the concept of spell slots from. You know, and it's no, we should just use freaking spell points. Seriously. You know, it's not hard. I mean, like an MP it, it, pool, like an it, RPG, it, where it's like you have like thirty points, and to use this yeah, spell, it costs X number. Exactly. Of points. Like, like right now, I'm I'm playing the Final Fantasy remake game on my PS5. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I cast this spell. Oh man, I only have like twenty eight mana left. You know, I better be careful because the thing costs four mana each time I cast it. I can do it for another seven rounds. It's 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 just more intuitive to teach. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I see. Um, no, there's. There's some things that need that need to that need to die, and that's one of them, in my opinion. Interesting. Yes. Uh, Sorry. How about you, Mervin? Do you have uh, any opinions on that one? Uh, I have lots of opinions because balancing the ease of making something like that work in a day-to-day setting is. It's not easy. You have to do a lot more counting. I mean, it's in the it's it's it's, it's even in the current edition's dungeon master guide as a suggested way, on an alternate way, you know, to do to do spells. You just turn, convert everything to spell points instead. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you like know. yes, but it it is more counting for the players, and like okay. it's not it's not it's, easy for players to like get into that mindset when they're just have their power fantasy. Um, and I'm I, actually, I've, I've been working on my own homebrew system sure. for quite a while. And like, that is one of the things that I've toyed around with and just making it so that people exactly how that works is easy, but then getting it to work in the moment is not that that's fair there's def- there's definitely a, a bridge between uh theory and practice right so mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. no no I, that, I that's remember, definitely consideration yeah because i remember like one of my big hitches because like we played um there's a i think it's a homebrew system but it's the pokemon tabletop adventures so it's a yeah, okay. pokemon homebrew system and one of the like and basically if you could imagine they basically took a lot of aspects of the Pokemon like video game and they made it into a tabletop system where they gave the trainers had their own class and the class would influence the Pokemon and each of the Pokemon had their own character sheet that was associated with it and when they leveled up they'd level up the Pokemon as well and it was a whole thing right and my biggest concern was like oh this is really cool in principle in practice this was spreadsheets this was just uh... spreadsheets nested in spreadsheets I remember I tried to play the, to to run this camp this uh, game, and as a player, I rolled up. I had no joke a small binder with one character sheet for my trainer and thirteen <laughs> character sheets for my Pokemon. 
Okay. Right? Okay. So it's like, there's just so when much. When you have a full party, you have a minimum of seven character sheets in this system. <laughs> wow. Minimum. That's like, like one, because remember, like each trainer has six Pokemon. If I have a full party of four trainers, like suddenly we're talking about, you know, 30 character sheets, 20 character sheets that I have to track as a DM whenever I'm like trying to roll with anything. And that's a lot of bookkeeping. And then as a player to have to track six different character sheets, heaven forbid, if you want to be a capture master where your whole shtick is you want to complete the Pokedex, you're going to have a character sheet for every stray Pokemon in your PC box that you're never going to use, but you need tracked just in case. Like it's just, it's a bad system. It's a bad system because it's taking what is done um, electronically within the game, tracking, you know, EV values, um, all the right. individual level ups, all these things that you get the benefit of having an electronic system to do it for you. And it's trying to transfer it into this analog medium, and it's not making enough concessions to make this a good experience for the players. Well, no, that, definitely. So I guess there has to be a ba- we have to look at like, because you don't want to burden, overburden the player with too much bookkeeping either. And so the question becomes, well, converting things into spell points by getting rid of spell slots is it too much bookkeeping? I mean, sometimes I mean some spell some classes with their spell slots, that's a form of bookkeeping in itself, right? So I guess yeah, it, like it as depends. a wizard, for instance, like I've played a fair number a fair bit of wizard at this point, and like that's a lot. Like to even just like select your new spells anytime you level up is like it takes some time and it can be really yeah. overwhelming. So, so it's just it's uh, it's a different way to do it. I, I don't know if one's necessarily better than the other personally. I, I would probably sure. play with it. The other way to see, I can see the benefit of it, but I can also see how it might break game balance a little bit. Oh, total. Well, yeah. Yeah. I have to try it one time and report back. <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> okay. So, um, so last question um, from our, from our viewer here, and it kind of piggybacks off of the last one. So are there any aspects of previous versions of D and D that you would like to see return in a future edition? Ooh. Let me let me start off here. Uh, prestige classes. Ah, that's a good one. Good answer, Marvin. That yeah, was cool. That that's is, third edition, three point five. Yep. And that is fourth edition is my as well. favorite thing about building a character from a mechanical aspect. What kind of prestige classes can I do? How do I get to them? How do I have to build my character? I miss it so much. Yeah, I, yeah. I really feel like with the way that the subclasses work in 5e there's so i mean you kind of mentioned the the system being safer i think that's part of it whereas i think mm-hmm. that like the prestige classes from the third edition and the the 3.5 edition of the game they were so much more riskier with like some of the things that they could do and like sometimes they missed horribly but sure you would get it was cool yeah, in the attempt yeah exactly you know, and you would get a huge swath of like different options. You know, you could you. I remember there was like a like a chef class, if I remember right, from three point five. There's like all sorts of ones, and like every once in a while, you'd come across a a new one in one of the source books, and you're like, because of course there was hundreds of them, um, and you'd have a player who's like, I'm going to multi class into this, and you're like, what the? I've never seen that before in my life. <laughs> No. Um, yeah, but going off of what Martin said, yeah, like, so in 4th edition, they had, you had Paragon Paths, which you would choose, and your Epic Destiny Path, which was at 20th level, and which, you know, which was kind of an evolution of 3rd and 3.5's prestige classes. You know, those were definitely cool, because there was flavor in them as well, you know? You gotta mm-hmm. be like, oh, I wanna be that, that's my goal. 
You know, so, so you have a more, you, you definitely, I mean, sure, in current edition, fifth edition, you know, you see the 20th level. What is your cap, what's your class's capstone ability? It's like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, da, da, da. Um, for me, uh, since you guys are fans of third edition and 3.5, I miss fortitude, reflex, and will defenses. I miss those a lot. You know, oh, when, okay. when, Yes, I do. I like the idea of like, you know, um, instead of rolling, you know, your saving throw, your dexterity saving throw now to avoid a fireball, the wizard is rolling to hit you, you know, and he has to hit your reflex defense. I liked, I like the, those, what the, in fourth edition, they were called NADs, which sounds dirty, NAD, NAD, which is non armored defense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, you hit me in the nads, you know. So um, yeah, uh, if I tried to cast hold person, you, I, the caster, would actually roll. I'm the active participant. I'm rolling to beat your defense instead of you being passive or rolling a saving throw. Now that being said, fourth edition, how I handled saving throws, I hated. It. it was so. It was the most luck sacky based thing ever because some effects were, were require a saving throw to end an effect on you, and didn't matter. What your ability scores were, what class you were, you saved on a ten or higher. So you could you could be stun locked. Oh, it was always a coin flip. It was always a, it was always a coin flip, and it was the worst way to adjudicate it. It was terrible. That was the that one. Was awful. It was it was bad. I stun locked a player that way. I, I cast power word stun on him on his next turn. He said, "Okay, uh, you lose this turn and your turn. Roll your saving throw." He rolled a five. No, next turn again. He rolled a five. And it was like, so he lost two rounds of combat. It was just, it was, it was the most feels bad moment ever I had as a dungeon master in that system. And that's when I decided to get rid of it entirely. So yeah, it was was not awful. Because even in 5e, like I've had that happen where like I I paralyzed a player and Mm -hmm. they just, they they kept rolling really poorly. But like, at least in that instance, it's like a freak of the dice where it's like, okay, I have the bard who has like a plus, you know, seven or something to his save. And like yeah. he needs to roll an eleven, you know, DC, and so he keeps rolling ones and twos, and it's like this oh, is like no. unusual, and like he nearly drowned in the process because his character was paralyzed in a small pool of water. But uh, of course, um, <laughs> and like he was such a great, he was such a great sport about it because he was paralyzed for I think like six rounds or something or five rounds. Mm-hmm. Which, like, yeah. that's an eternity. <laughs> like, that's, that's easily, like, 20 minutes of IRL time waiting for everybody else to adjudicate their turn. Um, right. You know, and he was a champ about More. it. But, like, it was sure. almost the whole session. It, yeah, it was bad. But, like, right. at least in that instance, like, we can kind of all say, like, collectively, like, that was just incredibly poor luck, right? But when sure. it's a coin flip, like, you have, you feel like you have so much less control over that. Yeah, I, I you don't... Do. Yeah, I don't like taking agency from players that way. Whether it due due to a bad mechanic like that, you know, or in other instances, no, I, I don't like that. I want to give him some at least some agency, you know, give him a fair shot or something. So as opposed to some arbitrary mechanic like, like that. At least the way five E does it, you can say, Well, the choices I made determined which ones I would be good at and which ones are gonna be coin flips. Yeah. Yeah, at least they have it right. Is you know, that at goes least with your stuff. choices have determined whether or not you're, you know, straight fifty fifty or not. Exactly. Yeah. So no. So yeah, that's my. Oh, also, I do miss the um, 
Well, let's see. Third, fourth edition, going to fifth. Oh, I miss the idea of healing surges, how everyone could heal themselves up to a quarter of their total HP. Um, uh, that was really cool. And you, you, you only had so many healings. And, like, and how healing, when you were healed by a cleric, it used your healing surge value, which was also a quarter of your HP. So when a, when a cleric casted cure wounds on a fighter, but then he cast it on a wizard, it was a different value. Because the HP to HP pool was higher, right? So it meant more. So um, I, I I thought it was kind of a sense of so cool was, realism to it. So so in four because I didn't play fourth edition really. Um, so that's that sounds similar to like a, a second wind from like from like sagas. Is that right? It's literally the same yes, thing. Yes, because that's right. Because uh, there's a lot of things from four E which were because they used they used three point five in saga. As testing grounds for yep. that. That's right. I forgot about that. That's correct. Okay. So correct. when you say that I used the that value, does that mean that the cure wounds was stronger in fourth edition than it was in like say five e? Uh, I can't remember now. It was it was a good spell. Oh, you always wanted healing word was better, just like in fifth e, because of action economy, because mm-hmm. a bonus action or a minor action in in that edition. So yeah, but 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 you got more bang for your buck healing in four E as a cleric or a druid, um, or warlord because you could heal as a warlord as opposed to five E. You definitely got more bang for your buck. Depending now, that being said, you couldn't spam it endlessly either because the the target player would run out of healing surges. You know, they couldn't spend a healing surge anymore to get mm. to receive the healing, and that was it. So it was a finite pool. Um, I see. Yeah, so so it it represented it represented like okay, you're using the character's life force to heal them, but they only had so much of their life force to spend. Oh, okay, so, so it's like it's, it's a bigger cool. boost up front, but like it's yes. a much smaller barrel to draw from. Yes, you know, realistically, unless you long rested, which I thought was really neat. I really liked that a lot. I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, honestly, um, I don't think that that like five E utilizes hit dice as much as very it well. No, it doesn't. Like, it's a really cool resource to track. And, like, it's a lot of work to track, number one, for not a lot of benefit. Because, like, you hardly mm-hmm. ever utilize it unless you're a campaign that's really, like, on the survival bent and you're really getting them to short rest pretty frequently. Um, sure. But, like, honestly, yeah. I feel like that's a really, like, similar resource, it sounds like, that you could easily pull from if you want to do healing in that way. Oh, yeah. I've, I've used it for damage. Like, if I want to make my monster really scary, I'll roll, like, a d4 in addition to what it's damage. And I said, uh, I take, the d4 is for how many hit dice you're, you, I, I'm deducting from your pool. And if I've I'm really super... That, and that sounds and I, awesome. <laughs> it's good for undead. It's good, like, to represent, like, the energy drain of an undead creature. Okay, you 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 take away the hit. if you're feeling like super mean, you could make whatever they rolled on the hit dice as well. Like like so you take away two of their hit dice, and it's a it's a it's a someone that uses a d8. So you roll two d8. You wait. Not only do you take two of their hit dice away, whatever the their two d8 what they rolled, let's say it's a twelve, you they take that much in damage as well. And they start losing hit points really fast. It's really scary. Not me and making if, a note to do this in future encounters. So again, it's re- <laughs> it's really good for to represent like the energy drain of undead. And if they're at zero hit die and they do it and they don't have enough, you could start being really mean, start make putting like exhaustion levels and whatever, just go nuts. So yeah, I'm, it, I'm, it's I'm, a really good I'm, to represent an undead creature. 
this may or may not happen in the near future. I'm sorry. So no, um, I'm glad you like the idea. Can I can I get the spell that does that, Owen? Maybe. <laughs> it would make it really easy for me to solo the party when it when the time comes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so with that, I think we, we, we've very much gone over on time, but I, I was okay. It was a fantastic conversation today. Yeah, it was. Uh, for sure. Was. So, um, so thank you so much, Simon, for, for joining us once again. Um, My pleasure. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted for a subsequent visit for sure. I'm sure it'll be a matter of time before you join us again. Um, all good. All good. I was happy to step in today at last minute. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Um, so with that, everybody, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, as always, you can catch the show on Twitter at TIAFA Podcast, um, where you can follow us there for updates on the show. We have new episodes every Sunday. You can catch us on your major podcast players. Um, if you want to follow the host directly, um, Simon does not have social media. However, um, you can catch I hate everyone. <laughs> um, but you can catch uh, me at Vlad Viver. You can catch Marvin at Taiyugetsu. Um, so uh, take care of yourself, everybody, and uh, you know we'll catch you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening.